Last week, we began a sermon series that was entitled The Big Four. Uh, You'll notice that that's not what's on the screen right now. If you were here last week, you remember that we asked a question uh, based on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, which we're going to come back to in a few minutes this morning. And the question was, uh, what are the, the things that keep me from sharing the hope that is within me? And we not only asked the question, but we actually put a phone number on the screen and asked you to text us if you would be willing to, uh, your answer to that question, your honest answer. What keeps me from sharing the hope that is in me? And thank you, thank you, thank you, because a ton of you sent in text messages, and a bunch of you sent in more than one text message. And that was outstanding. We're going to put your names on the screen, and we're going to read what you know. We're not going to do that. We're going to honor the, 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 uh, the being anonymous, but thank you because it was very helpful to me. I said last Sunday, if what we hear back tells us to go in a different direction, then we'll switch gears. And you can see by the, the screen, we have switched gears. We're going to tackle the questions. We're going to look at these big questions of life. But what came back in, in our responses were there were other issues that are playing into this conversation that ought not be ignored. So let me share with you some of the things that we said last week and why we've changed this to the the reason for for hope. Uh, One of the things that was said is uh, that I'm afraid. That when I'm thinking about sharing my faith, that it just makes me a little nervous. I'm not sure how people will react. Some people said, you know, I I, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to have the wrong answer to the question. But I'm just really, when I think about it, I'm fearful. So that's, that's one answer we got. A second answer we got was that I'm hurt, that I've actually had a bad experience in church, and I'm not sure that I want to invite others to have a potentially bad experience uh, such as has happened to me. Third answer was, I don't know. And this was about a, a, a kind of a twofold answer. Part of it was, I don't know that I know the information of the gospel. I don't know if somebody said, tell me what it means to put my faith in Jesus, that I could actually take them to verse and, 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 and chapter and kind of walk through God's plan of salvation. So I just don't have enough information. But there was another part of that. The other side was, I don't know that I really am friends with very many people that don't believe in Jesus. Uh, I've kind of found out that I'm in a bit of a cocooned world, uh, and I don't know that many folks that are unbelievers. So that was kind of part of the I don't know. Uh, the fourth answer was, I'm a mess. And uh, that was mine. Why are you laughing, Stacy? Um, thank you. That's exactly right. That's the correct answer. I am a mess. Uh, and there are times when I feel like a hypocrite. There are times when I feel like what I'm saying, what's coming out of my mouth, is not how I'm living my life. And so why would I want to tell somebody else about Jesus? That, that just, you know, I, I don't feel like I should do that. Uh, the fifth answer was I'm unmotivated. I don't really feel a need to share my faith with other folks. And the, the last kind of group, and we kind of grouped these, the last grouping was, I don't have the hope of Christ in me. Now, there's some real honesty there. And again, thank you for trusting us with your answers. Uh, and we hope we don't ever abuse that. We'd like to actually use this tool a little bit more in the future because I think it will help guide our conversations as we study God's word on Sunday morning. So what we've done is we haven't abandoned the big four. We're still going to look at them, but we're going to weave those into a conversation about each one of these answers. So if you were coming in this morning, you saw our our new little chalkboards that sit outside the building that just had two words on it, I'm afraid. And that's what we want to tackle this morning. What is it about fear 
Where does it come from? Kind of what's its genesis? Is it, is it a sin to be afraid? Should I hang my head in shame because I feel a little bit nervous about sharing my faith with other people? Or is it okay to be afraid and just kind of go to the sidelines and, and check out a bit? Uh, how do we handle this question of being afraid? That's what we're going to look at today. And I haven't told you to turn in your Bibles to a passage because we're going to look at a bunch of different passages this morning. We're going to bounce kind of all over the New Testament this morning. They'll be on the screen uh, as we go through. But I want to give you a, a handful of what I'm going to call givens. There are certain things that are given about this life of discipleship. The first one is this, that Jesus identifies his disciples as those who are responsible to be his witnesses, to take the gospel to other folks. So the end of, of Jesus' life, this is after the resurrection, the end of his earthly life, he's going to ascend into heaven. He says to his followers, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So every corner of the world, wherever we are, including little Kirkwood, Glendale, uh, De Pere, it's our responsibility as disciples to make new disciples. In other words, we got to talk to people about Jesus. And that's something we've said kind of scares us a little bit, but it's a given that we're witnesses for Christ. Luke records it this way in the first chapter of the book of Acts, talking about the same time after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends to heaven, and he looks at his group and he says, you're my witnesses. You're the ones that are going to bear testimony about me. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the given is, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a witness for Jesus. Now, I might be a scared witness. I might be a messy witness. I might be an unmotivated witness, but none of that changes the fact that if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a witness. That's one given. The second given is this. If we are Christians, if we are disciples of Jesus, we are naturally going to be counter-cultural. We're going to move in a different direction than the mainstream of culture. So in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is putting his finger on there is not just our responsibility to live out the gospel in our lives, but the fact that people will take notice, okay? Now, if you stood up this morning, you said, I want to testify, and I want to declare before this congregation that I am a Cardinals fan, Everybody go, duh, <laughs> right? No big deal. You're with the rest of us, except for those few delusional folks from Chicago, right? Who had one year and think that they're, you know, like the greatest things to sliced bread. I'm not bitter, though, but it'll all work out in the end, right? Nobody would be surprised by that. But if you stand up and say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to live my faith. Now you have people's attention. Why? Well, because the world says, for example, live for right now. This is all there is. Make the most of this 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you have and live for right now. And Jesus says there's an eternal kingdom that should consume your thoughts, should consume your very existence. The fact that you've been created to spend eternity in a relationship with God, right? So right away, we're going against the screen. The second thing that our culture says is get everything you can right now, right? Collect, collect as much stuff as you can, okay? And, and, and gain wealth because therein lies your security. And Jesus in the Gospels and the Bible says that God created us, that our own lives belong to him. We're not our own. We belong to God. Everything we have is on loan from God. We're stewards, not owners. And the words that should describe Christians is radical generosity, not living for themselves. Wow, now we're really countercultural, 
right? The world says live for self-pleasure. The world says as long as it gratifies you and is done in the privacy of your own home and it doesn't actually hurt someone else, it doesn't matter. Live for your own pleasure. Scripture is clear that we live as disciples of Jesus for what? For the glory of God and in the service of his kingdom and in the service of others. Now you're counter-cultural. We should embrace that. We should acknowledge that that's who we are because in acknowledging that, it lets us know what? That there's going to be a rub, that there's going to be some tension in the culture in which we live. My third, uh, uh, my third observation is a fracas will ensue, right? I wanted to use the word fracas. I love that word. It's kind of a hockey word. Hey, those two boys down there are going at it. There's a, there's a fracas going on over there in the, in the corner of the rink, right? It means there's going to be a bit of an argument. There's going to be a, a disagreement, and, and it might actually come to blows, right? We need to understand that that's the world in which we live. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that's your lot. That's my lot. So understanding that helps us then take our fear and put it into that context, the context of Peter saying, always be prepared. So let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, right? Peter says we're to always be prepared to give a reason for our hope. So if you're here last year and we studied the book of Colossians, we had some memory verses. And these are going to be our memory verses for this go-around. So for the next 11 weeks that we have, we're going to try to memorize these two verses. So would you stand with me, please? I know you've just kind of gotten comfortable and settled in. And we're not going to take any of the words away this week. We're just going to, we're just going to read the script. We're going, to, we're going to ease into the new year, okay? Let's read this together. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a clear conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Outstanding. Have a seat. So we can begin to work on that. Bob Colette, I know, has already thrown down the gauntlet. If anybody wants to, he's the reigning memory champion. There he is right out there. So if anybody wants to challenge him on, on the memory work, you can. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as we think about uh, being afraid, in this context, being afraid to talk to others about you for uh, fear of how they will react, that we don't just kind of try to prop each other up and say, good luck, go get them, but rather we can come to your word. This is the word of life. It is a, a, a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our pathway. It is life itself. So, Father, we acknowledge our fear before you this morning. We confess that, yes, there are times that we are intimidated, that we are scared, that we are nervous about sharing our, our faith for a multiple of reasons. Thank you that we can, we can bring that concern to you and your response is right here in your word. So, Lord, what I, my thoughts on this are really irrelevant. What's most important is that we go to your word this morning and we see what you say to us about fear. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that... You would forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me be an obstacle to learning and applying this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would teach us by your grace and your mercy and your power. We pray in your name. Amen. So if we're always going to be prepared, it means we're going to have to deal with our fear. How are we going to deal with our fear? Well, let's look at the sermon in a sentence. The sermon in a sentence says this. The vast majority of disciples who share the hope within them 
are afraid. So if, you, if, if that was your answer or now that you're sitting here listening to it, go, yeah, there, there are times when I'm kind of nervous about this. You're not alone, right? How, they, how should they respond to fear, right? What do we do with that? That's what we want to tackle this morning. We're going to look at several passages of scripture and I have three observations. And the first one is this, that fear on some human level is reasonable. It, it kind of makes sense to be afraid. If you're not afraid on some level, or, you know, at least, you know, kind of causing some pause, you're probably not quite thinking about it the way you ought to. Uh, for those of you that are Lord of the Rings fans, you remember in the Fellowship of the Ring uh, that Aragorn is, is having a conversation with Frodo, and they're talking about the bad guys. And Aragorn has had a lot of experience with these, these nine guys, these nine evil riders that are after him. And so he's kind of questioning Frodo about his experience, and he asks him a question. He says, are you afraid? And Frodo kind of shakes his head and he says, he says, yes, I'm afraid. And Aragorn kind of studies him and looks at him and he says, you know what? Not nearly enough, right? <laughs> so there are some of you sitting here this morning. I realize that there are probably maybe half a dozen people in this room that are like, I just don't have fear when I share the gospel. Praise God for that. That's a gift from God. And, and I believe that that's true. But for the vast majority of us, if we're not a little bit unhinged with the notion of talking about these eternal things, we're probably not being quite as serious about it. However, it, it, it's important for us to understand that that thought, that hesitation, that kind of catch, that fear is not a sin in and of itself. But if I allow it to handcuff me, if I allow it to silence me, if I allow it to, to have someone, something else as Lord in my life, Instead of Jesus, that's when it becomes a sin. So if I said, I'm really fearful of losing my reputation and people think I'm crazy, so I'm going to be quiet. That's when it becomes a sin, when reputation becomes my God and Jesus stops being my Lord. So we come to this notion of people's reacting negatively in a verbal way or maybe even a physical way. And Jesus says, that's right. A disciple is not above his teacher, he says in Matthew 10, nor a servant above his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, which means the devil or Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Jesus is acknowledging that his disciples will have some fear and for good reason from a human perspective. Jesus is saying, they malign me, they hate me, they call me the devil. If they do that to me and you say you're a follower of mine, how do you think they're going to react to you? It's going to get the same reaction. People will react negatively. Sometimes it will be verbal. Other times it can be physical. The church of Jesus Christ has gone, undergone, and is in this day and age going under physical attack from unbelievers. Maybe not at Kirkwood and Glendale, DePere and Webster and, and, and the St. Louis area, but certainly around the globe, Christians are being physically persecuted for their, for their faith. And our natural inclination, whether it's a verbal chide or physical abuse, is what? Self-preservation. I'm going to run and hide. I'm going to protect myself. I don't want anybody to pick on me. So I'm going to find ways to avoid this, right? So that's our reaction. And Jesus says in this passage, it's understandable. In fact, he says, you should be aware of the fact that it's going to happen. I know this is going to be part of your lot as one of my followers. Jesus goes on to say, not only is some of our fear that people will react negatively, but, and several people said this in their text responses, I'm afraid that I would say something wrong, that I would lead a person down the wrong pathway. So I take you to Luke chapter 12. And Jesus says, if you're afraid of saying something wrong, think of this. 
when they bring you before synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, so somebody's bringing you in and they're going to question you about your faith, right? Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, let me, let me go down the wrong road first. You don't use this verse to say, I never have to study the Bible. I just got to show up at the game and be ready to go. And if somebody happens to tap me on the shoulder when I'm walking over to Caldi's to get my cup of coffee and they say, you look like somebody that follows Jesus, I just know that the Holy Spirit's going to give me an answer and a Billy Graham crusade will break out on the plaza over there. But I never have to read my Bible in preparation. That's not what Jesus is addressing. Jesus is not addressing the fear of God. He's talking about the power of God. And he's saying you're not by yourself. And, and you're right to be afraid that you don't know the answer. It'd probably be good for you to put your nose in your Bible a little more often, perhaps, than you're doing. It would be good to be intentional about studying verses that would allow me to have them flow off my tongue when somebody asks me for the hope that is within me. But I don't do that void of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I have not a partner, but I have a leader who has put me in this situation. How did I get there in the first place? By God's providence. Why are you in the family you're in? By God's providence. Why do you have the friends at, at, at the high school you go to that you have or the middle school that you go to? Why do you have those friends? By God's providence. Why are the people with whom you do business the people with whom you do business? By God's providence. And some number of those people are put in your pathway because they need to know Jesus. And Jesus says, when, when you're brought before folks and the question is asked, know that you're not alone. But sometimes we also have a fear because we feel isolated. I'm going I'm to read a little bit longer text for you this morning. This is actually one that I think is in the bulletin this morning. He's talking about Paul. Uh, when Timothy and Silas arrive, he's occupied with what? With testifying, right, to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, so they didn't just say we reject the notion, they reviled him and said, that means there's something wrong with you, Paul, that you would actually believe this gibberish. So they're putting him down. They're being antagonistic towards him. What does he do? Shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, right? I am innocent. In other words, I, I've given you the truth. You've rejected it. No offense taken. It's on you now. And he goes to the Gentiles. He left there. And he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now, there's a revival going on in Corinth, right? There's great things happening. The Jewish folks have rejected, but the Gentiles are coming in droves, Right? And, and, and Paul said, if you came by camel, we'll wait. You know, Billy Graham's, oh, we'll, don't worry, they'll wait for you, right? There's all kinds of, you would think that when it says, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, the first thing out of his mouth would be, way to go. Good job, excellent work, keep it up. That's not what he says. The Lord appeared to Paul in a vision, he said what? Do not be afraid. Why did he say that? God knows all things. Why did he choose to say that? There can only be one answer. He knew that God, Paul was nervous. He knew that Paul was feeling isolated. He knew that Paul was feeling like, man, this is, this is really hard work. And even though he was seeing people come to Christ, he still had some amount of fear in his life. So don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? If I'm Paul, why, 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 why should I not fear? For I'm with you. No one will attack and harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Every once in a while, it doesn't happen that often because I, I wish I was smarter than I were. But every once in a while, when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, this thought crosses my mind. I wonder how many other people around the world right now are sitting down talking to somebody else about Jesus. There got to be a whole bunch of them. 
right? I'm not by myself. A, God's with me, right? And B, there's a whole bunch of other people that are following Jesus. And I can be encouraged by the fact that I'm not isolated. If the apostle Paul was scared, think about this. This is the best apostle. This is the best, you know, church planter. This is the guy that wrote half of the New Testament and he's afraid. If he's afraid, it stands to reason that you and I might be afraid every once in a while. You guys know I love John Wayne movies, right? Great movie, Big Jake, one of the the ones towards the end of John Wayne's career. He plays a character who finds out that he has a grandson, didn't know he had a grandson, but his grandson's been kidnapped by the bad guys. And Richard Boone leads the bad guys. And everybody's under 40 right now, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you're older than 40, Richard Boone really makes this movie. He's a great bad guy. Um, But John Wayne gets to the place where he gets the grandson, and there's a gunfight. The bad guys are shooting against the good guys, and there's a thunderstorm, so there's flashes of lightning. There's all kinds of explosion, and they duck down behind this, kind of behind this this stack of hay, and his grandson clutches onto him, and he says, I'm really afraid. And, And the character that John Wayne's playing looks at him and says, I'm afraid too, but let's not them, let's not let them know about it, all right? Okay? And you're like, boy, if even the hero who's going to save the grandson is afraid, I can be afraid too. The apostle Paul's afraid. It stands the reason that Tom Ricks is going to be afraid every once in a while. Right? Stands the reason that you will be too. God knows what we need to hear, brothers and sisters. And he addresses our fear. He says, you're not isolated. You're surrounded by community within the Holy Spirit. I'm with you. And on the outside, the fellow believers. So while there's a reasonable understanding for fear... That's our first observation. Our second observation is we need to refocus our fear in a different direction. We can't just let it stop us. We can't just stay where we are. Some observations here. The first is this. If we're going to refocus our fear, we need to have the right expectations. Okay? The Jews demand a sign, Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to the Jews, and folly, foolishness, nonsense to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What Paul is saying is there are times when you're going to be seen and I'm going to be seen as an empty-headed fool when when we stake a claim for the gospel of Jesus. I remember the first time this happened to me in my life. I was in third grade. I was in Miss Hunter's class at Robinson Elementary School, just about a mile and a half that way, and it was Halloween day. And this was back when you could wear any kind of costume you wanted to wear before. There were like guidelines on costumes you could wear. And I'm in third grade. There's a little guy in our class. I don't remember who it was. One of the guys in our class wore a devil outfit. So he's got the red on with the tail and the horns, and he's got the pitchfork. And he, you know, he's the devil. And so we're going around talking about our costumes. And he's like, I'm the devil. And immediately Miss Hunter says, well, all boys and girls, we all know that there's really no such thing as a devil. (laughs) Tom? Miss Hunter, there really is such a thing as the devil. The Bible tells us that, and it's true. Well, now let's not listen to what Tom says because he read a book. Da, 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 right, Tom, you're a fool. All right, third grade, nine years old. Right, I've been a fool ever since. Okay, no big deal. I'm, I, no, no arms fell off my body. Right, my head didn't explode. Right, I just was looked at by somebody. And she felt pity for me. Right, I, I'm sorry that she felt pity for me. That's just the way it goes. Right, it's going to happen. You have to have an expectation of that. You've got to know there are times when people are going to look at you and go, I feel so bad that you're just so foolish. And you have to accept that as part of what God's doing in your life. The second thing we need to understand is not only right expectation, but we need to have a right respect for our God. Paul said, uh, Jesus says, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and afterward have nothing more they can do. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Now, people can look at that and go, how, how dare God 
cast innocent men and women into hell. That's just an awful, that's why I don't believe in the Bible. Only problem with that thought is there's no such thing as an innocent man or woman. There's no such thing as, as, as an innocent child. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. David got it right in the Psalms when he said, I was conceived in sin. I was sinful when I was in my mother's womb. I was already flawed and broken. And when I came out of the womb, there was only one way I was going to go, and that was down the path of sin. I was going to rebel against God because that's who I am in my very being. But God says, Trust me, fear me, respect me, have awe of me. Not, not fear me, worry that your father is going to blow up and hurt you. He's saying give God his proper respect. Understand that he is the one who judges. If you drive down Kirkwood Road at 75 miles an hour right out in front of our church and a policeman pulls you over, I guarantee you, you're not really afraid of the policeman, right? That doesn't enter into the equation if you stop and think about it. Who's the person you're afraid of? The judge, right? Because the judge has the authority to pass sentence. So you, you might be mad that the police officer pulled you over, but ultimately a police officer is not the judge and the jury. It has no authority other than to give you the citation, right? God has the authority because he is perfectly righteous to know when his law is broken. And he will never send an innocent person to face his judgment except for one. One person that God chose who is perfectly innocent to face his judgment. That's the Lord Jesus. And he did that because you're a sinner. And he did that because I'm a sinner. He did that because we deserve hell, which is simply eternal separation from God. And that's what Jesus experienced on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? So we need to have a proper respect for our God and for his glory and for his justice as well as his mercy. We also need to understand that God has given us his provision. In 2 Timothy verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So when I'm afraid, one of the thoughts that ought to cross my mind is, where's the fear coming from? Where, where did that genesis, where, where did that happen? It's only one of two places, right? It's either in my own heart. I either just kind of am looking at myself and I'm, and I'm focused on myself and I'm fearful because I know I don't have the power to, to bring anybody to Jesus. I don't have the wherewithal to say all the right words so that people come to Christ. Right? So I look at myself and I get scared or it comes from the evil one because whatever Miss Hunter want, chose to believe, there is a Satan and he is out to destroy the kingdom of God and the rest of the world. Right? And he works against us. He wants us to stumble. He wants us to fall. So if I focus on my fear and on myself, it's coming from someplace other than God because God says, here's what I have for you. I have power. I have love. I have self-discipline. Aren't you just praying? with all your heart that our new president has those three things, right? Don't you want any person who's in a place of authority and leadership to have a glorious combination of those three things? Because usually when you have power, you're lacking in love. Sometimes you have love, you don't have the power and self-control, self-discipline. Don't we pray that there'll be people in our lives that exhibit those things? And God says, I freely give that to you. That's the spirit that I give to you. So we need to understand we have the right provision which leads me to uh, understanding that we need to look at the right examples. 
You need, to, you need to put people in your pathway. Not, they're not the Messiah. They're not the Christ. They're not the Savior. But older brothers and sisters in Christ are kind of leading the way. And you can say, tell me about your fear. Tell me, tell me what's happened to you. Tell me how you've experienced this so I can learn from you. So Paul's in jail. He's, he's been imprisoned for spe- uh, preaching the gospel. It says this, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, Paul being put in prison emboldened them. Why? Because Paul's in jail, and guess what Paul's doing in jail? He started a prison ministry, <laughs> right? Okay? He's got four guards chained to him every day. He's got a, jar, a guard chained to this wrist, a guard chained to this ankle, a guard chained to this wrist, a guard chained to this ankle. And he had Bible study all day with those guys, <laughs> right? He told them about Jesus. And guys from the outside are coming in, you know, bringing Paul some food because in the ancient prison system in Rome, if you didn't have somebody bringing you your food and, and water, you died, right? So they're bringing Paul stuff that he needs and they're seeing this going on and they're walking out, scratching their heads going, man, if he can do it in jail, think about what we could do out here as free men. Think about how we could make a difference. You follow the right example. Dr. Martin Luther King said towards the end of his life, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular. But he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. right? Paul knew in his heart that he was to share the gospel, and he did so. Martin Luther King knew that there was injustice that was rampant in our culture and somebody had to stand up and do so, even if it wasn't safe, even if it wasn't popular. Our goal as disciples of Jesus is to be neither safe nor popular. If that's our goal, we're we're following the wrong guy. Our goal is to follow him in faithfulness and even when we are fearful to give that to him. But there are people in our lives, there are people in our culture on the, on the broader screen like, like a Martin Luther King, but there are also people in our congregation who can serve as examples to us to, to lead the way in helping us with our fears. And then one other observation on refocusing our fear is this, we need to ask the right things from God. We need to make sure we have the right request. The book of Acts chapter 4, the early church is up and running and they're suffering persecution. Some of the apostles have been put in jail, they've been beat up, uh, and, and the church is still seeing a whole bunch of people come to faith. And so the, collectively, the church is in a prayer meeting and here's what they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants safety. Not what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and wipe them out and make sure that, that, that we're the champions that come out on top. Not what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What are they saying? They're saying, hey, Dad, I'm scared, right? But don't let it stop me because I know the journey you've set me on. I know the responsibility that I've been given is the right one. So those people out there that are trying to scare me, don't let them scare me. The people out there that, that make me feel like a fool, don't let that stop me, right? Let me follow you. That's the right request. And if that happens, then my third observation, a little bit shorter, is this. Fear will be relegated to its proper place. Right? Fear will be relegated to its proper place. First thing is this. We must embrace the reality of being countercultural. Again, Jesus said, don't be anxious. Say, what shall we eat? Or drink, what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. They're right there in that sentence that was spoken over 2,000 years ago is what will take up two-thirds of the advertising during the Super Bowl in a couple weeks, right? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? And what am I going to wear, right? 
There's a technology is catching up, right? I, there'll be some car commercials too, but where, what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear will take up most of the advertising of the Super Bowl. There it is right there, right? But you seek first the kingdom of God. I'm glad you didn't say, but don't ever watch a Super Bowl. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God knows you need this. All these things will be added to you. In other words, understand that you're going in a different direction than your culture. And embrace that. I want to read for you just a couple of paragraphs out of Good Faith, which is a book I recommended uh, last Sunday and I'll continue to recommend throughout this series. Talking about this notion of being counterculture. They give a, a good definition and they also give a word of encouragement as well. And I, I pick on millennials every once in a while just because I'm older and that's what you're supposed to do when you get older. You pick on the next generation. But they say some wonderful things about millennials and I, and I was really excited to read this. Being countercultural means bringing good faith. A vision for what is orderly and right, abundant and generous, beautiful and flourishing, with life and relationships to the broader culture. The vision is not just an individual pursuit. It is best expressed in communities of faith where believers love and care for one another uh, well, and they invite others to experience the same grace. Christians and churches that live this way find not only that their faith becomes more alive, but also that their collective impact on their communities is deeper. In our research, the results of which are shown in the table below, sorry, I should have put that on the screen, probably. Um, they're shown in the table below. Large majorities of practicing Christians, especially millennials and evangelicals, report two confident attitudes. They feel like they are a force for good, and they feel that they are essential. In other words, if they were to go away, their communities would notice. This is the fruit of living good faith. I think we need to stop trying to duck who we are and embrace our identity as those who are proudly, not arrogantly, not in a rude way, but are confidently countercultural, knowing that the kingdom of God is what will endure to the end. So, yes, am I going to be a little nervous sharing my faith? Absolutely. Am I going to be scared from time to time? No question about it. But I understand that that's my, my, my calling is to go against the culture that says live only for today and yourself. The other way I think we relegate fear is to pray, 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 not just for ourselves, but in particular, pray for those who don't know Jesus. Talk to your unbelieving neighbors. I build relationship with, with folks that don't know Christ so that I can be in, in relationship with them so that we can have some natural conversations about the deeper meanings of life. Paul is on trial in this last passage that I'm going to point to this morning. And he's talking to a king and his wife and a governor. He's talking to really important people. And he's just gotten done talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then he looks at King Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, I know you believe these things, don't you? And Agrippa is in a public setting with a lot of people looking at him. And Agrippa says this to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, Paul, Agrippa is saying, Paul, you're, you're an empty-headed fool, right? And he's chastising him. He's making him look stupid, Right. And Paul doesn't say, Agrippa, you bonehead, I'm, I'm done with you. What does he say? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God. In other words, I pray, right, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul let the insult go right past him. Never paid it one second of thought. 
be concentrated on the most important thing. Why? Because he, he prayed for people. He cared for people. He longed for the opportunity to share the gospel with people. And when, when you get busy with those kinds of desires, and when you get busy with that kind of prayer life, fear doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just go away, but it certainly abates by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the grace of God. So we started out the sermon and we said this, the vast majority of disciples who share the hope within them are afraid. And I think hopefully scriptures have shown that today. How should they respond in fear? Well, truth be told, that's not all that great of a sermon in a sense. It, it's lacking something. So here's probably what it should have said from the beginning. The vast majority of disciples who share the hope within them are afraid. Will we trust God and embrace his word in response to our fear? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, people that we can look to in the, in the larger audience, so to speak, who do not allow fear to, to stop them, who certainly wrestled with fear. Clearly, Paul wrestled with fear. That's uh, why you appeared to him and told him not to be afraid. I'm sure there are many moments where Dr. King and others who were seeking to speak out against social injustice were fearful. Father, we admit that there are times when we would just rather be quiet, that we are a bit scared. Lord, I pray in those moments that we would not feel guilt or shame and hang our heads and walk away, but rather we would confess to you freely. Father, we're afraid. Think of the, the, that movie, the little grandson saying to his grandpa, I'm really scared. And know that you're not going to chide us, you're not going to rebuke us, but you are going to offer a pathway that moves us past fear, that moves us to a deeper trust in you and a deeper faith. So, Father, we pray that you would do that in our lives to the end that we would grow in our trust and our hope and our faith in you and that others would come to know you as Savior and Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
everyone Don't you hear the song we sing Oh, there might be tears But we are more than our fears We are marching on There's a price we have to pay Love means taking on The weight of what was won Child, don't grow weary Soon we will see the sun All my brothers Help each other All my sisters Walk together
name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the palace clean, his blood avail for me. So come on and sing out, let our anthem grow loud, there's one great love, Jesus. Listening to his voice, through life a dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe. Glory to God and praise and love be ever, ever given by saints below and saints above the church and earth. said amen oh, oh, oh and all the people said amen give thanks to the lord for his love never ends and all the people said amen you are not alone if you are lonely when you feel afraid you're not the only we're all the same and need a mercy to be
announcement time to the end of the service. We just have one announcement this morning, but it's about a two-minute long announcement, so I'm going to ask you to be seated again for just a second and watch the screen, and then Kelly Wilmot's going to come share a little bit about what you see on the screen. This year, we're going to look at the book of Acts, and we're going to dream together about what it looks like to get back to the simple, old, awesome things that the apostles did in the early church. Everything in our world right now feels a little chaotic. And something about the early church, the way that they served each other, the power of God through the Holy Spirit that was on their lives, it was anything but complicated. It was simple and pure. And I'm afraid we've become a generation that performs and and does big acts of faith, but we don't do quiet acts of faith that nobody sees. That's my dream for us, that we would get really good at the things that nobody sees. So we're going to go see one of the most powerful generations on earth in the way that God and power moved through them right after Jesus ascended, the apostles, and the beginning of the church. Join us. Come be a part. Hi, I'm Kelly Wilmot, and uh, the last two years I have had the honor of working with a team of women from Green Tree to bring the IF gathering here to Kirkwood. Um, If you've never heard of IF, it's okay. A lot of people haven't, so let me explain a little bit to you. Um, IF is a movement that exists to um, gather people, women together, equip them, sorry, and unleash them to um, follow God's call on their life, which sounds familiar. (laughs) Um, The IF gathering is so amazing. It literally pulls women together from all over the world. There are this year 1,700 different locations around the world that are going to be streaming the same worship, prayer, and teaching. And we are one of those places. So for that time, we are connected with women that have different backgrounds, that look different from us, and um, are different ethnicities. During the teaching time, there's several different people that will be speaking. Um, and all of the teaching is going to point us to God and help us understand and live out God's call on our life. Um, I don't know about you, but my life um, clips along at a pretty fast pace, and I would bet yours does too. Um, There are some days that I cannot even remember to do the basic things in life, and um, much less remember that God desires to have a relationship with me and that he has a call on my life. So I am personally looking forward to this weekend because it is a chance for all of us women to hit the pause button on life and to come together and listen to God and reconnect with him again or possibly for the first time. Um, If began 
when a few women asked the question, what if we believed God is who he says he is, and how would that change the way we live our life? This year they are asking, what if we returned to the simple ways of the early church? And I will tell you, when I heard the word simple, I raced to register because simple sounds very refreshing for me and I hope for you also. So if you are free that weekend or if you're free for a portion of that weekend, I would recommend that you register. You can bring uh, family, friends, neighbors. This is not only a green tree thing, this is for women in the St. Louis area. So stop by our table or ask myself or anyone with these shirts on, <laughs> and we will be happy to answer any questions that you have. Thanks. So the table is out in the, uh, in the atrium, just uh, right out in the hallway. Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. As always, our prayer team and our Stephen ministers are right over here. If you have any prayer requests or you just want to talk to somebody about anything going on in your life, uh, they will be more than happy uh, to hang out with you and talk and to pray. Let me ask you to stand now and please receive the Lord's benediction that I gladly offer to you in his name. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and self-control. Live in the reality of God's power and be not afraid. Go in peace. Amen.